Welcome to Macro, the Cisco Innovation Podcast. Okay, how did I get interested in uh, rural connectivity and start to realise that there was a bigger opportunity out there? Believe it or not, it always goes back to uh, one of my hobbies. My son and I do a bit of skiing uh, up at Glencoe in the winter, and there's always huge queues at the ticket office first thing in the morning, especially at the weekends. And believe it or not, that's caused by poor broadband. The ski centre, regardless of how many people they have on the ticket desk, they just can't process the credit card transactions fast enough. So it takes sometimes two or three or four minutes to get a transaction through. And just one day it struck me uh, in a discussion that I work for Cisco. Why can't we do something about that? That's Stephen Spears. He's a senior product manager at Cisco and part of the company's advanced services organisation. We'll be hearing more about what happened after he got down from the ski slopes of Glencoe later. First though, it makes sense to give a picture of what connectivity currently looks like in the UK. According to Ofcom's latest Connected Nations report, 91% of people in the UK have access to superfast broadband. On top of this, 85% of indoor premises are covered by mobile data, and data access is available in 63% of outdoor spaces too. Sounds pretty good, right? Well, those figures don't necessarily tell the whole story. When it comes to connectivity, there's a real divide between rural and urban areas. Around 17% of rural areas don't have access to decent broadband services, compared with just 2% in urban zones. It's a similar story when you look at 4G connectivity. Just 18% of rural premises can receive an indoor 4G service from all operators, compared to 64% of premises in urban areas. And that's before you start digging into comparisons between mobile connectivity in England versus the rest of the UK. To put it in a different way, you might be struggling to listen to this podcast if you're in a field in Scotland right now. But there's more to the digital divide than podcasts, of course. It's a real concern for businesses. Ofcom's report also indicated that 230,000 small businesses still can't receive a decent broadband connection in the UK. In some cases, this lack of connectivity is stifling whole industries. And when you consider that as much as 88% of the UK is made up of non-urban land, the problem starts looking much bigger. The reason for this digital divide is fairly straightforward. It's much harder for service providers to justify making investments in less populated areas. And as the gap between rural and urban connectivity gets bigger, so does the impact of not addressing it. Nick Chrysos, Cisco's Director of Innovation for Europe, Middle East and Africa, explains how we got to this point. The, the value of the connectivity in urban areas has been proven and is there, and there are a thousand different use cases of, uh, of the benefits of the connectivity in the urban areas. Uh, rural areas have been neglected and have been neglected uh, because they, they, are, they are very expensive really to deploy and there was not really the opportunity up to now from the technology side uh, to be able to do something for the, for the rural areas. This has particularly been the case with the deployment of 4G infrastructure. In 4G, the uh, mobile operators, they uh, mainly base their business case of deploying infrastructure uh, based on the number of devices and the data for these devices. So the more the devices, the more the data, the, the higher is the business case. So a reason for them to deploy the infrastructure. 
As we're moving in rural areas, the infrastructure becomes more expensive, the people get fewer and the devices get, uh, get, get less than what we had before, so the business case collapses. So now 4G has been deployed to all the urban areas, but the rural areas are left with very low infrastructure, very limited infrastructure, because of the, of the business case that doesn't stack up. Just because there are fewer people in these rural areas doesn't necessarily mean there are fewer business opportunities. Stephen's skiing example is just one case in point. Industries like tourism and agriculture offer huge opportunities for the UK's rural areas. Farming already contributes heavily to the £111 billion GVA of the agri-food sector in the UK. And tourism in Stephen's home country of Scotland is estimated to be worth more than £11 billion. Nature-based tourism, which includes activities like hiking, biking and snow sports, generates a large chunk of this. So, for Stephen and Nick, the case for connectivity in rural and remote areas is clear. First of all, in the UK... Uh, we have, whether we like it or not, we have a digital divide and parts of the country are falling behind. Uh, and without the investment in communications technology, those areas will suffer. Uh, and they're suffering with depopulation, with, for example, restaurants closing down and with businesses looking to relocate. We also have very, very positive reasons, which we believe are not very well understood about rural areas. Rural areas have major businesses. The UK's biggest food export is salmon, much of that in the remote lochs of uh, Highland Scotland. We have farming and agriculture, which we all depend upon for our food, and that will increasingly become so with Brexit, with uh, population growth in the world. We will have to get smarter farming uh, to drive that productivity. So we all depend on those areas. And we are the first ones to complain when we go outside the city and our mobile phones don't work. So mobile connectivity is not just about where you live and where you work, it's about where you go to. And many of us have tourism uh, as a key uh, part of our lives. We are tourists. Uh, the tourist industry, again, is a major, major component of the economy. Uh, and it's really important that we support these kind of industries and attract people into our beautiful remote places, uh, up which drives not only the economy, but it drives people's uh, pleasure in life. So suddenly they became an amazing opportunity, not only for Cisco, but for everybody that is looking to really get technology in place that it hasn't been before. So uh, the reality is that um, how come we haven't done it earlier? Earlier this year, Cisco kicked off a new innovation project called 5G Rural First. As lead partner, Cisco, along with the University of Strathclyde and 27 other organisations, will be creating three separate testbeds in Somerset, Shropshire and the Orkney Islands. When we look into 5G, 5G is much more than just phones and data. 5G is about things, is about a ubiquitous network that can connect everything together. So when we look into 5G, we're looking into uh, multiple devices that we can connect in rural areas, building the business case of why we need to deploy this kind of infrastructure. Having as byproduct an amazing opportunity for rural communities now to have the connectivity that they never had. 
And that's 5G rule first. The project is part funded by the government's Department for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport and supported by Cisco's Country Digital Acceleration Programme. The aim? To use 5G connectivity to evolve more efficient business models for key industries such as agriculture, tourism, renewable energy and manufacturing in remote and rural areas. It's probably worth saying at this point that this month's episode is a little different to the way we usually cover innovation projects on this podcast. Namely, the projects usually have been completed by the time we come to tell the story. This month, we'll be looking at what's happened so far and what's ahead. Given the scale of the project, it makes sense to break it down a little. In this episode, we'll take a brief look at each of the three testbeds and hear from some of the people at their helm. Let's start with the most remote of our test sites, Orkney a group of islands off the northernmost tip of the Scottish mainland. Twenty of the 70 islands in the group are inhabited and provide a home to 20,000 people. Orkney also ranks consistently as one of the worst connected places in the UK. My name's Shona Croy. Um, I work for the local authority, uh, Orkney Islands Council, um, and my role is uh, strategic advisor to the council on uh, renewables and connectivity. For those uh, that maybe aren't so familiar with uh, the place I call home, um, there are a number of uh, inhabited islands um, connected by ferries um, or short-haul flights. Um, they are, in effect, our bus services, you could, you could argue. In fact, Orkney is home to the world's shortest flight. The trip between Westray and Papa Westray is scheduled for one and a half minutes, but has previously been completed in just 53 seconds. So we have, you know, fairly scattered, low-level populations on some of those islands, but they still all receive um, high-quality public services. So, you know, schooling, uh, health care, refuse collection, um, you know, you name it, the services that, uh, that, that we all expect will, are delivered um, by the local authority. So we've tried to target areas that... Um, a, currently are not receiving much by way of, uh, of access to broadband and mobile. Um, but th there's two reasons for that. It, it's very, very expensive to deliver services where there is distance from the, the client. Um, and when you're dealing with low population levels, um, then it's very expensive per person to deliver it. So it's not just about the individuals who um, live and work on these, these islands, uh, but it's also about the, the, the local authority and health services being able to deliver services to those islands in a more efficient manner. Shona says that a lack of connectivity also makes it difficult to attract businesses and tourists to explore Orkney's untapped potential. You know, there's no doubt that poor connectivity will, will influence your ability to carry out transactions. And, and we have, um, you know, probably unknown to a lot of people, we have extremely high value activities going on in Orkney. Um, you know, you may not be aware, for instance, that the European Marine Energy Test Centre is located in Orkney. And two of the sites, uh, the wave, wave testing site and the tidal testing site, need very, very good connectivity. Uh, when it comes to research and development, obviously you're downloading a lot of data and analysing that. Um, and it's actually been a real challenge to these projects. They've had to put in their own fibre and obviously one of the sort of big, biggest issues then is the backhaul and the cost. 
um, because you're having to pay quite considerable costs for the equipment, but also then to, to, to make use of the network um, going onwards. So, you know, in some ways it's stifling innovation. In many ways, Orkney provides the most stark example of the digital divide in the UK. I think there's, um, there's a lot of exciting opportunities as such, but, but without a network to deliver it, um, then it's out with our reach. The 5G Rural First project has the potential to revolutionise how Orcadians live, work and do business. The, the applications one can use um, is fairly limitless in some ways. So some of the things that are going to be trialled can only be trialled because connectivity is being provided, if you like. So um, we're trying to provide some home, home broadband services. Um, we're also looking at some commercial uses. Uh, so as you see... A the Orkney testbed is going to explore a diversity of use cases. The team will run trials of mobile broadband services for the local community, as well as providing enhanced connectivity for more than 100,000 tourists visiting the island each year. IoT sensors will be deployed to help monitor everything from water cleanliness in schools to weather conditions on wind farms. Salmon farmers, significant contributors to the UK economy, will also be using improved connectivity to help monitor conditions for their fish. The BBC will be testing the viability of 5G as an alternative to existing terrestrial broadcast services. And finally, the harshest, most remote environments will be testing out Li-Fi technology, which uses infrared light to transmit data. All of that makes for an extensive to-do list. For Shona, what's particularly unique and interesting about the Orkney trial site is that it's a living testbed. I think the thing with Orkney is it's it's, um, it's a living testbed. So we're not creating anything artificial. You know, we're not uh, creating an environment where, you know, we're closing off an area to do some special trials. You know, we're, we're actually involving the local community. We're trying to deliver broadband to, to areas that have very, very poor uh, connectivity at the moment. So uh, I think this makes us much more of a real world testing environment. And I think the other thing to remember is the is the climate here. Uh, you know, we're dealing with uh, probably a harsher climate than than um, most other areas of the UK. So there, there's not just the issue of um, does it work, but uh, also does it stand up to the rigours of wind, salty air. And if it does need repaired as such, what impact does that have in terms of um, how long it takes to get spare parts? You know, just very, very practical things that, um, you know, hopefully will provide, uh, if the trials are successful and 5G's rolled out, um, a lot of very, very valuable information going forward. Ultimately, what's most important to Shona is that the trials lead to long-term benefits for the islands, their inhabitants and the people who visit each year. You know, testing is great. Um, you know we're we're extremely welcome, welcoming of all of the the different activities we've we've uh, as a local authority done all we can to support as many trials as possible. But as I said, the, the the ultimate aim is not come test something, prove it works, and go away. You know I would love to see a second phase either of more trials taking place or the trials becoming a a, a semi permanent commercial service. The way Shona describes it really captures the opportunity that 5G offers our rural and remote communities, particularly in regard to the digital divide. 5G is very, very exciting in terms of what it offers um, in, in the future, but we would obviously want to have 
full coverage in our area so that everyone in Orkney can benefit uh, from, from what that can can bring, you know, rather than this kind of gradual rollout to the periphery, which concentrates on a city area, then goes to the suburbs, and then there's this kind of dead space where lots and lots of people live and work and activity takes place, but the, nobody can really justify investment in infrastructure to, to serve that area. As you'd expect, there's lots of technology required to make this happen. And a big part of making this vision into a reality is dependent on something called spectrum sharing. A radio network is essentially made up of a spectrum of different frequencies that we can connect to using wireless or mobile devices. These different frequencies are used for different types of communication. Traditionally, mobile operators have paid large sums for ownership of different segments of the spectrum. However, this cost is one of the inhibitors to the rollout of 5G in rural areas. This is where spectrum sharing comes in. I'll let Karina Maximuk take it from here. Karina is a project manager at Agri Epicenter and currently working on the Shropshire and Somerset testbeds of the 5G rural first project. So spectrum sharing in the UK is um, a new concept where at the moment, the way things look is the operators have to bid for a particular area in the spectrum. You know, if it's if uh, it costs a lot of money, it's it's millions of pounds to just access a fraction of a particular um, frequency, and that means that if you do not have the budget to pay for it, you will not be able to participate in the market. And if you've bought some spectrum and you choose not to use it as an operator, that's your freedom to do so, but it means that no one else can benefit from it either. So it ends up sitting in a corner being unused, unutilized. And spectrum sharing actually looks at that and says, hey, perhaps we can use a very small percentage of that, but the impact that we can have is very significant because the spectrum itself allows us to access the technologies that drive the changes in agriculture, for instance. As Karina says, spectrum sharing opens up access to connectivity that rural and remote areas otherwise might not have. This is particularly promising for the UK's farming communities up and down the country. Well, farmers, first and foremost, are under a lot of pressures. And specifically in the UK, the pressures are coming from you know, where, the, where the UK is. You know, Brexit is, is looming. And what it means to farmers is a reduction of benefits where they normally would be subsidized to do different things and the subsidies come from various places which also include the European Union. The the pressures also come from the need to produce more food as more people are moving into cities and the fact that the labor is just not available. So technology is actually a way to resolve some of these pain points. It could act as a way to resolve these pain points by, by allowing them to be more productive. Not to say that the time that they spend doing activities will no longer be done. It just means that their time will be freed up and they'll be more flexible in terms of how they structure their workday. And in, in addition to that, you've got younger farmers that are maybe looking to step into the industry, maybe follow up from where their, their parents were working and they want to be able to succeed at the end of the day. Two of the three testbeds on the 5G Rural First project are focused on agricultural use cases. 
In Shropshire, 5G will support tests of new technology, such as autonomous tractors and drones laden with cameras and sensors. Of course, so Shropshire is pretty exciting because it focuses on autonomous vehicles. So we've got two use cases called Hands-Free Hector and Soul Essentials. And the guys are trying to find out whether they can use 5G to take really complex machinery or computing away from the tractors themselves. So their objective is to really try and use as few different technologies as possible and integrate everything under one roof, so to speak. They're trying to find out if drones can fly in real time, you know, to detect different conditions in the field and then tell the tractor exactly where to go, where to spray. Um, for Soul Essentials, and their focus is very much on using machine learning to detect weeds and, and find a way to keep the kind of brain of the system learning at all times without kind of human input or have a human input be accessible from a remote place. So rather than having to send, you know, a, a, a map to an expert, they'll be able to upload things directly to a server and get it done from pretty much anywhere. In Somerset, meanwhile, farmers will be using 5G connectivity to enhance dairy farming practices, from remote vet services to using hyperspectral imaging to assess soil conditions and animal grazing patterns. 5G Rural First will help overcome issues that current connectivity presents. The technology will also support a new automated approach to milking and caring for dairy cattle. Some of that work is already well underway, so we took a trip down to the farm to see it in action. So each cow has a collar on it with a transponder underneath the chin, which uh, carries information about that cow. So it carries the information um, as to, to which cow it is, uh, so that when the cow comes into the robot, it says, ah, that's cow 2040, right, I need to, I know where her teats are, I know how much milk I'm expecting from her, because on the screen uh, readout... That's Duncan Forbes a project manager at Agri Epicenter with more than 20 years experience in the dairy industry. He's explaining how a combination of wearable technology, data analytics and robotic process automation is revolutionising how dairy cows are milked and cared for. But on the screen there we can also see information about the udder, so it tells us about each of the four quarters because the cow's udder is divided into four quarters, they're quite separate and so from that we can then see information about the milk quality, the conductivity of it, milk flow rate and the temperature. Uh, for Duncan, there are always two essential elements for a successful dairy farm. I, th I think the important thing is we must never lose sight of the two essential elements for a dairy farm. It sounds like saving the obvious. The first is cows, right, and the second is the people who look after them. So everything that's the, this technology does has to benefit one or both of those two elements because however clever we get those two things are not going to go away um, so the technology is going to give us more and more information about the animals which will mean that we're going to be able to really keep an eye on their health and welfare and that's obviously good from an animal welfare point of view but it's also important from a hard-nosed economic point of view there's a lot of money invested here and we need to make sure that we're getting a good return on that 
because if we're a profitable dairy farm, then we can reinvest in the future and keep carrying on producing healthy, wholesome food. So where does 5G come into this? Well, as Duncan says, these new processes are generating large amounts of data. Strong, consistent connectivity will ensure farmers can get the most out of this data. So this site, this dairy unit here, is one of three test beds sites for the 5G Rural First project. Now, in, in farming, uh, technology is being adopted at a very fast rate. Now, at the moment, most of that um, technology connects via uh, some sort of Wi-Fi uh, system through to a, a PC in the herdsman's office and then connects through to the internet that, by that means. Well, first of all, in rural situations, internet connection is notoriously slow. So even when you've got it into your PC, it can be really slow thereafter. And what we're looking to do with 5G is to see if we can't bypass a whole uh, series of those steps along the way. So if we can get 5G to actually pick up information from the sensors that are on the animals, bypass any need for a PC on the farm and get the data uh, onto the internet, to, onto the cloud, where it can be combined with other data from other sources and then be delivered, crucially delivered back to the people looking after the animals as decision support information much quicker. In other words, with minimal latency or delay between gathering the information and it being turned into management support information. For Duncan, the opportunity in this case is simply too big to ignore. I, I think that uh, the whole potential of 5G for the rural communities and rural industries is really exciting because, you know, farming has, uh, and, and rural communities have really suffered from very poor connectivity. And that has held back the uh, technological advances we can achieve because of the limitations on, on how much data can be transmitted. That hasn't stopped the agricultural technologists from being very clever and managing with those, those strictures. Uh, but if you take those away by having 5G connectivity with this fantastic highway for data, then the potential is enormous in terms of what information can be uh, transmitted and therefore turned into really useful information which is going to transform the welfare of the animals and the profitability of farming. So we've heard about some of the specific use cases that 5G Rural First will be trialling. We'll be checking in later on in the series to find out how they're progressing. But at this stage, it's worth considering what the big picture is for the UK when it comes to 5G. Here's Cisco's innovation guru, Nick Chrysos, to explain. From the one side, uh, yeah, there is a, there is a major potential uh, business on the infrastructure in the core of the 5G, and we're testing an amazing system in the core of all these things that we're deploying, which we hope after that to replicate this around the world. Uh, on the other side, we are building an amazing connectivity capability in the UK which is absolutely critical for the digitization of the country. So what we're doing with the 5G Rural, we're almost putting the, 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 the layer that is needed in order for the digitization strategy that UK has today can be actually uh, delivered and implemented. And 5G Rural 
uh, gives the, this kind of layer in the rural areas that without that you would not be able to deploy any of the strategic initiatives that we've seen in the rest of the country. And here's Stephen Spears, who's queuing at the ski centre kickstarted this journey into the rural wilds. For us in Cisco, one of the underlying technologies is 5G network slicing and the core of the network. So we see that as helping to drive new enterprise level business models. Uh, so I'm very excited that we're going to be testing some of that out with some of these enterprise level use cases like agritech and uh, uh, renewable energy and so on. So that's very exciting uh, to be really seeing the core of the network helping drive new business models. And finally, really this lets us help drive the 5G agenda. We're not doing rural connectivity because it's easy. We're doing it because it's a big challenge. There's a, almost a social responsibility element to this, and that's an area that's very important to Cisco. We've got to help the world adopt new technologies, and that includes in our rural areas, and, and this is helping us contribute to that. And I'm personally absolutely delighted that Cisco are investing in an area that's a challenge, not just in the developing world, but also in the arguably the developed world where we do have a digital divide and it's great to be doing our bit to help address some of those challenges. It's a big challenge and one that's really getting started now. Over the next few months, we'll see the use cases brought to life across Orkney, Somerset and Shropshire and start to build the business case for 5G both in the UK and across the world. You can get regular updates on the project and its partners over on Twitter at 5G Rural First. And check out the website at 5GRuralFirst.org to learn more about 5G and the benefits it will bring to the UK. We'll also be following this project's progress closely over the coming months, so make sure to subscribe to this series so you can hear all about it. You'll find us on iTunes, Acast, Stitcher and all your usual podcast providers. And if you're enjoying the series and haven't left us a nice review yet, then why not? You'll be helping others to find out about Macro 2. Until next time. <laughs>